Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Let's turn to the Word of God. Will you bow your head first? We're going to pray and ask God's hand upon us this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, for such a rich sense of your presence. We so love you today, Lord. We are touched again, Lord, in the words of those songs that we sang, Lord. Lord, when we come around your table, Lord God, the cost of our salvation, the great love story, Lord, the love that you have for your Son, Heavenly Father, and Jesus, the love that you have for us. We thank you so much, Lord, that we, we are undone by such love. And we thank you, Lord, for coming into our lives and changing us and for abiding with us, Lord, and never departing from us. Thank you, Lord, for putting up with us. And we want to tell you again, we love you, Lord. And I pray that your name will be great one more time, that you speak one more time from this pulpit. Bless this word I ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 We're looking at Luke uh, chapter 14 this morning. And we're going to be reading from verse 11, one of the most famous spoken parables of the Lord Jesus. But let me just give you the background here. It says, then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. This is reading from verse 1. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke to them a parable, saying, now he actually spoke three parables in succession, a trilogy of parables all with the same address onto them. The first parable we know is, is known as the lost sheep. A man had, a farmer had 100 sheep and lost one, and he parked the 99 in a safe place, and he went out and he followed after until he found that lost sheep and brought it back at its shoulders. And then he goes to talk about a widow, or a woman's presumed a widow, some translations do say widow, that had 10 coins, maybe that's the inheritance, that's all that she had, and she lost one coin, and, and that's a huge loss one-tenth of your wealth. She can't do without that. But she, she put on a light, the Bible says, she swept the house. Give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. <clears throat> and not many days after, the young son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions. I love the King James says, wasted his substance on riotous living. That would be a, a, the previous old English way of putting it, what I grew up with. But wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. And when he had came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy. Neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servant, Bring out the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. 
and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. And when he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked servants, And these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I would make merry with my friends. But as soon as this of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed a fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that you, you should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and now is found. No matter how many times we hear the story, it's a powerful story. It's a story that history repeats, but not always with the same ending. And actually, fact, several cultures have similar stories, and even the Jews have a couple of similar stories to this. One of the, well, let me give you two of the Jewish narratives. One Jewish narrative would have been the very same story. A Jewish boy would have went out and he would have squandered the family inheritance, ended up living no different than the Gentile, and eventually came back, but the father made him work for many years before he received him back. That was one of the uh, uh, Midrashic teachings on, on, this, on this account. Not particularly, but uh, you can imagine, you know, when Jesus begins to speak the story, it's not unfamiliar. I mean, I love those things about the parables. Jesus takes very natural things that mean something to people, and he brings, extracts a spiritual truth to illuminate and open their eyes to something greater. You know, every culture loves storytelling. The Irish are no different. We, love, we have the old Shanogues, as they say in Ireland. They were the storytellers around the campfires, and they would tell these wonderfully descriptive uh, stories that were sometimes very simple things, but people were engrossed by them and very entertaining and very lovely. And the Jewish culture was somewhat similar. So when Jesus was telling these, these parables, in, in, in the vac it wasn't within the vacuum. There was a reason for him telling them because there was all these sinners there. There's these Pharisees who are very righteous living people. And he's telling these stories. And, you know, they're sitting down for a good old story. And, you know, some of us today in our sort of postmodern sophistication you know, we, we, we think that's a little bit funny. You know, they didn't have iPads. They didn't have televisions. They didn't have radios. They actually made entertainment with one another and they spoke stories. And it lent to a lot of social interaction. So you can imagine this greatest storyteller, Jesus, is there. And they're, they're thronged around them. And of course, the, the Pharisees have just disdain for the unrighteous. They had ever believed in their theology that God had any time for unrighteous people. You know, it was only the righteous that God loved. He didn't love the sinner. He only loved the righteous, and so you strove to be righteous. You strove to be right with God. And Jesus is revealing something of the Father, the true nature of God the Father. And actually, about when I was doing this funeral, Pastor Stephen Dublin, I spoke to a congregation that mostly wouldn't have known anything that you and I would know from the Scriptures, very little, grew up in mainline religion. And I began to tell them, you know, Joan grew up in that mainline religion, and I grew up for some part of my life in that main, same mainline religion, and I said, it's an amazing thing. As a young boy, I never had this view of that God was love. I always believed that God was just. And he was only too willing to punish you for your misdeeds, you know. So that was my impression of God. And that was the, the you know, as that's true, it is not the greatest truth about God. Amen. God is just and God will always, always satisfy justice. But God, the Bible says, one of the most revealing verses in the Bible is that God is love. It's an amazing, the Bible says, it's not, love is not some sort of emotional reaction. It can be. You know, love is not some sort of sentiment. Love is a person. 
No, but Corinthians 13, the great chapter in love, love is kind, but you know, you heard me say it many times over, kindness is not necessarily love. Love is patient, but patience is not necessarily love. Love is a person. The love is God, and Jesus is the revelation of that love. And so everything in the ministry of, of Christ is to reveal the Father. He said to John, if you see me, how I received the little children, how I received the sinner, how I received the, the outcast, then you see the Father. And he was revealing something of the heart of God. And so, you know, for me and for Joan and for other people, this is who we fell in love with. We had such a misrepresentation of who he was that it caused us to run from him in time of need rather than running to him. And so Jesus is revealing to these stories and he's telling these stories and they all lived in a horticultural type world. There was no, you know, major sophistications. I mean, so they understood livestock. They understood when a guy loses a, a sheep. It's a death. You just don't, you know, you just don't let that happen. You go and find it. Sometimes it can take days and days. You lose a coin. You, you, you just can't say, ah, well, you know, I'll, I'll just foreclose. i just you know, default to the bank. You know, what are they going to do? Like in our cultures over here, a lot of people, they'd borrow money and they just walk away from the debt. You can't do that back then. If you got into debt back then, you ended up being a slave for seven years to pay back for your debt. It was cruel. It was a different world. And so they understood these stories. They understood the depth of what it meant for them. And, and so Jesus is going to continue on with this parable, the man had two sons. And as I said, the Jews had one. There was another story the Jews had as well to two sons. A man had two sons. And they looked at the, the, the one son was a prodigal, went away in riotous living. And of course, the, the, the good son was the, the Jewish boy that kept on to the Torah and the old covenant. And the Gentile boy was the boy working with the swine. And so they had a very different interpretation. So you can imagine all years are on, what version of the story is Jesus going to tell us? And he told it with a completely different ending. Amen. See, whatever notion you have of who Jesus is, you need to get the right one from the Word of God. Not from what people, how people have misrepresented him to you. My God, this world has been so misrepresented that God has been so misrepresented in our nation and the nations of the world. In the abuse of children and the abuse of behavior, in authoritarianism and all these sort of uh, awful behaviors that we associate with God, I want to tell you, friends, that is not the God of the Bible. Jesus said, I come to reveal the Father. I want to show you the real picture, to iron out your contortions. And he tells this beautiful story, of course. And this young man we know, Mr. Prodigal, you know, the word prodigal, you know, if you go to your Webster's Dictionary, it says, the word prodigal means wasteful, extravagant, imprudent, impetuous, selfish. And so this young man at a young age, you know, didn't dispel, uh, display much virtue. He basically wished his father dead, according to some commentators. I wish he was, the old man was dead. I'd get my money and I'm out of here. I'm, I'm sick of this religion. I'm sick of this lifestyle. I, I feel t t too restricted here. The narrow way has become too narrow for me. I want wide open spaces. I want real boats. I want to get out there, see the world. I want to experience it all before I die. And, and that, that's the driven side of this young man. Maybe he had ADDH. Maybe he had a condition. I don't know what it was. Definitely just sinful nature is burning behind it all. But maybe he was accelerated today by so many other things that kind of drive people in certain directions. And so the father loves his son and he gives him his portion. Not too long after giving his portion, off he goes. He hightails it out of there. Can't get, he can't get far enough away. That's why I love when the psalmist says, you know, if I, I take the wings in the morning, I'll go to, and I'll go into the uttermost parts of the, the sea, even there your right hand is with me. 
And so he flees and he fills his mind and his lifestyle is, is one of just absolute self-indulgence. He's a partier. He's a homemonger. He's a drunk. He's a snorter. Whatever is going, this guy's getting into it. He's a lot. He, there's, no, there's nothing he won't spend on himself. He's wasteful. You know, I talk to young men and women today and they're, and they're wasteful. They, go, they think nothing of drinking 10, 15, 20 pints in a night. And they boast about it. Just into the gullet, the indulgent lifestyle, the wasteful behavior. And you're always, always impoverished, impoverished in spirit, never have enough money because the lifestyle is just sucking out of them anything that's decent and good. And this young man was all that. He, he, he was a man, I've told you friends, that had so departed from his genesis. One great commentator says, talking about wasting his substance, he said it means to waste his spiritual understanding. His capacity to perceive divine truths and heavenly realities. How far he had gone, friends. The thoughts and the purposes of God no longer played any, were given any utility to him. To him, it was all about his senses, what he could do, what he could smell, taste, touch, feel, and hear. And he gratified that to, to, the, to the extreme, friends. He was no longer what he was. His ability to feel the forces of the things divine or to be moved or stirred by them were gone. He were gone, friends. He, you know, I want to tell you, friends, no matter how far things are gone, there's always a way back. Hallelujah. As long as there's life, there is hope. You might be watching today. You might be watching here. You might be watching weeks after this sermon is preached, but I want to tell you, no matter how far you go, there is always a way back. And that's what the Word of God says. Jesus Christ came in, not for the righteous, but for sinners, to seek and to save that which is lost, to leave 99 and go to the wildernesses and chase down the one, to switch on lights and sweep the houses clean and bring order back into life. And this young man, the Bible says, he began to be in want. Now, some of us would, hope, would, sit, would sit back naturally. We've seen it in family life. Anyone, anyone who's lived long enough, you've seen this either on television, displayed in drama, or in actual living with somebody that you know. And the son and the daughter is nothing but a plonker. They're disgraceful. They've treated the family shameful. Their attitude stunk to high heaven. And I've seen it in the house of God. I tell you one thing, as a minister, I had to refrain from putting a size 10 where the sun doesn't shine, and they weren't even my kids. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's times I wanted to show them the right hand of fellowship. I felt nobody was doing enough fellowshipping with them. But you know what? And I saw them go sour and dark and treat their parents outrageously. And, 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 and the older brother just rose within me. You know, all the time, that carnal side. But you know what I want to tell you, friends? Christ still loves them. He still loves them. And if he, if he loves them, we're to love them too. Hallelujah. And so he went away and he became everything other than what he was brought up to be. You know, with someone here this morning, you're turning into everything other than what God had created you to be. You're so confused about what you are now that you don't know what's up or down, back or forward. But I want to tell you from the Holy Spirit, there's a way back for you this morning. There's always a way back. And he began to be in want. His, his finances ran out. And it's amazing with popularity and clubbing and pubbing and world and finances, it all runs out. Sooner or later, let me tell you, the piper will be paid. Sooner or later, you're not the prettiest, the most handsome. Sooner or later, the six-pack turns into like Pastor Nick, a keg. 
Okay, sooner or later, you have more chins than a Chinese directory, amen. Sooner or later, things go down, things begin to change. Sooner or later, the resources drop. It's only a matter of time. It's not if, it's only a matter of when. You begin to be in want, and you look back over a life of waste. And so this is what happened to him, and, but he can't, even, he can't even perceive the spiritual. He, can't even, he doesn't even understand the depths, but he's now hungry. He attaches himself to the citizen of, a, of, of this uh, city, of this country, and he puts him to work in the fields, and he's working, he's working in the lowest places, the dirtiest pubs, the lowest halls, the janitor. That's a great position compared to what this man had. Nothing wrong with janitoring work. Tell you, it's, hard, it's good hard work and it's honest work. It was worse, worse than that, friends. He was treated like a slave. He was a slave. He was an indentured servant, servitude. He had to be there, treated horrendously poor. He's hungry, broken. And yes, he has wasted many, many years. And yes, he's never getting them back. But even that didn't motivate him. He wasn't even motivated by that. He began to think. He began to consider again that in his father's house, he said, you know, just servants in my father's house, and they have, they have more bread they have, they have disposable bread. They have, they, have, they have plenty left over. They're never hungry. I know what I'll do. I'll go back to my father. And of course, you know, this, this need, this sense of self-preservation, thank God he has given that to us. Amen. Amen. No man hated his own flesh, the scriptures, but nourishes it. Now, I, I now understand that can be people face terrible depression and it can leave them into dark places. But even when God biologically made you, how he put you together to say, I, I need to survive. I want to survive. I want to pull through. I want to live. I don't want to die. Even those who are contemplating death now, even those who are watching contemplating self-harm, you know, in your heart, in the very core, you want to live, but you just don't know what that means anymore. You don't know how to live anymore because you're so burned in your, in your emotions, so burnt in your spirit because you've wasted whatever God gave you at birth, whatever God gave you at the family. You wasted that substance in riotous living. You know, the Bible says, the faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. And how many young men and women have I seen over the years that wasted the spiritual substance and just, just auctioned it away, just like Esau, I'd rather have a bowl of stew in a nightclub than to be in the house of the Lord. And auctioned it away and they had their bowl of stew and they had their worlds and now they're, they're gone and it's empty and they don't even know. They see them coming back into the house. They don't even know why they're back. They don't even know. They just feel at least someone might like me. Someone might befriend me. Sometimes I meet young people years and years later and it's not because there's this deep revelation of divine truth. It's just something in them to survive you know, what reception will they get when they come here? That's the question. Is it the one-eye stare? Lord, remember what you did to your parents. I remember the shocking behavior. Is that it, friends? Is that what we would descend to as a church? God, I fear not. And he began that long journey back, which is not that long. For any man or woman this morning, it starts in the heart. It just starts with a change of direction. I want to tell you, wherever that is, where, however prodigal you've become, it's just a change of direction. I will go back to my father. It starts with I will. I will go back to my father. 
simple, I will go back. The Bible has this incredible imagery of the father. The Bible says the father, he spots him when he's a long distance off. So he's looking for him. And what an imagery of the heavenly father. Not looking, I'm going to find that punk one day and I'm going to show him who's boss. I'm going to teach him a lesson or two. He needs to learn the hard knocks of life. You know, I tell you, a true father is agonizing. You say, oh God, don't let him pierce himself through with too many sorrows. I know it's going to happen. Preserve him from himself. Preserve her from herself. God, don't let them get the just rewards of their decision. Any parent ever pray like that? I pray like that. Don't let them have the just rewards of these foolishnesses. Like Job, how he interceded for his children every day. Oh God, if they have offended thee in their parting if, uh, and interceded, oh, they did. They did, but it didn't stop Job. It didn't start the heart of a good father from interceding and praying. I want to tell you, mom and dad, you are that intercessor. God has called you. You, you brought your argument. Now you need to pray. And you need to watch the horizons, amen, in faith. And the father, the Bible says, when he saw him a long way off, he's looking for him. He's looking for you. He's looking for me. That's the heart of the Lord this morning, every morning. You know, today is the Lord's day. It's not the Sabbath. Every single day is the Sabbath because the Sabbath is Christ. We have a rest in Christ. But today is the Lord's day. It's a special day because around the world, all the people of God gather in on the first day of the week of the Lord's day. But he's watching. And he sees the silhouette of a young man. He sees the shape. He says, I don't know if that's him. It's very disheveled. But the father knows his son. You know, in Jewish culture, you don't, elderly men particularly would not, it would be undignified for them to run because they, they, they wore a tunic. And for them to run, they would, have to, they would have to pull it up and show the bare legs, tie it up and run. And that was, that was viewed upon in the culture as being, you know, this is, you know, this is a little bit excessive. This is a little bit dramatic. This is not a lot dignified. You know, really, you need to be a bit more British, a bit more proper. You know, you need to stand there like the, the sergeant general or whatever, whoever it is and keep the stiff upper lip and say, oh, good to see you back, you know. Um, yeah. But that wasn't this, this, was, this is not the representation of who the father is. Now you can imagine, the, people listen to this to the Pharisees. This is for the Pharisees. This is also for the sinners who are far off. And they're listening intently because he's revealing something about God. The Bible says that he girded his loins and he, he ran out to meet his son. It was Isaac bought it a few weeks ago, a few months ago, I bought a lovely thought uh, on this. You know, the, why run? Why, why would he do it? Number one, why would he show himself to be so, so uh, emotive, emotive in this? Why would he lend himself to criticism? You know, when I think of John 3.16, that was the verse that Joan loved, and um, Sarah told me she loved that verse. It gave me a great opening to share that gospel message with a family that didn't know the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe upon him would not perish but have everlasting life. The whosoever always intrigued me. It's like having your family treasure and you just bring it out to the front of your gate and you're putting a sign up there and you're putting it out there for everyone to so free to whosoever. That's what it's like. It's like taking the very best of what you have, you're putting it out of heaven, you're putting it on earth, 
and you're putting it there, anybody in that street can have it. It's valuable. It's incredibly valuable. It's a story told actually about a woman who had, who had a very miserable marriage. She was a wealthy, they were a wealthy family. He was a playboy. He had, he, he had girls. He would go off and party. He'd go to Vegas. He was a very wealthy man, multimillionaire. And, uh, you know, he bought himself top-of-the-range Ferrari at the time, and that was the symbol of his midlife crisis and all his behavior. You know, she hated that vehicle because she knew it was just to catch the women. She put up with him, put up with him, but one day he died of an overdose. And, uh, you know, for her in the divorce, the most painful thing was uh, the, the, the remembrance of this Ferrari. So she puts, it on this, she puts an ad on the newspaper. Free. Ferrari. Three months old. Whoever wants it can have it. And she got nobody responding. Nobody responded. She couldn't get over. But eventually one day some guy, he's, he's a little bit hungover. He's just looking to the... The, the ads, and he sees, yeah, could this be real? A Ferrari, she had a picture on there and everything, you're free. Anyone who wants it. And of course, he, he says, that's only a phone call, I don't know, I, I, I'll give it a go. She says, so he picks up the phone, calls the woman, he says, is this for real? Of course it is. He says, send me the address. So he gets a Uber at the time, wherever it was, goes there, walks in the drive of this big house, electric gates open up, he walks up, and he sees this beautiful red Ferrari sitting in the driveway. And it's, you know, they're a couple of hundred thousand, these cars are. And out she walks. He said, are you for real? Are you, can I have this for free? She said, you can have it for free. And she gave him the keys and he drove out the door with a brand new Ferrari. And I want to tell you something far greater was given to us at Calvary. And people say, really? Really? The father runs. In the Jewish culture, in Levitical laws, if a son shamed his family like this, shamed their father in how he treated him, how he lived his life, and eventually going into the, Jew, the Gentile living um, and eventually feeding swine, the smell of pigs is a very, you know, I don't know a lot about countryside, but uh, I love going out to Kiramis Farm because it's cows and dairy and has a kind of more pleasant sort of feel. But you go to a pig farmer, a couple of miles up the road, Russell Jennings' father was a pig farmer. And I wanted to tell you, that's a whole new level of aroma, okay? And anybody who knows that background knows I ain't telling a lie. And uh, so the smell of this kid is just horrendous. Everybody knows it. So the father, in the Jewish culture, under that circumstances, the son was meant to be stoned to death by the community as well. There was, it was such a shameful thing. Anyone saw that, they, that he brought shame upon the heart, on the family name and behavior. But they, they softened it. The, the, rabbi, the rabbis softened it somewhat to, if you see him return to the village that he came from, you are to break a large pot, a pottery pot. You're to break a large pottery pot in front of him and yell, you are cut off from your own people, then the community would utterly reject him. It was actually the ceremony of Kezaza, is what it was known as. It was a, it was a ritual that people did. So they would, it was to maybe, uh, seg, it was to enforce the cultural values, maybe to send a children down the back of other children that were thinking similar stuff. And it was something that was serious in a lot of cultures. So that gives you another story when the father is watching because he knows 
He knows that the legalists are out there. He knows that the law is, you know, the law has no love for you. The law is just the law. The law of Moses has no love for you. you know, the laws that tell you right now, the law, does, the, law, the law is neutral. There's no love. The law will just exact penalty upon you. But you can see this heart of a father that is ready to run and get to you before the law brings its pronouncement over you. Before anyone gets, gets, gets to you and says you are cut off. Before another voice comes in, there's that, that, that movement of the Holy Spirit even now upon your heart that every other, no other voices matter. The only voice that matters right now is the drawing of the Holy Spirit says quietly that Jesus is calling, calling for sinners to come home. What was the words that I hear? I have written down somewhere. Quietly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling lost sinners come home. And so this young man is, is on his way and he sees, I'm, the dust is moving, I'm sure that there is... There is a, barley is moving. He's running through the fields. He knows it's his son. He's running to meet his son. I'm going to get to him before the, Lord, before the law condemns him. And we know the, the, the young man had everything rehearsed. He only wants to become a slave. He just, he just wants, let me have some food. Let me work. I don't deserve anything. And I think the attitude in many ways is right because it shows contrite. He deserved nothing. And you and I deserve nothing. You and I don't get because of reward. If we did, then it's meritocracy, something that we merited that, you know, I, I deserve this goodness. I deserve everyone to love me again. I deserve everyone just to forgive me. I deserve everybody just to embrace me. You know, I'm just such an entitlement around today that you do really wonder what, where the state of the heart is at. But there was a brokenness in him that, that was very real. He was broken, for sure. And he'd, he'd rehearsed his line, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I've shamed you before, and I've shamed God, and I've shamed everything, and I, I am I'm a, I'm a worthless man. The father doesn't even let him finish it. The Bible says he, he threw his arms around his neck, and he kissed him on the neck. And then he calls the servant and says, get the best robe we have. And he says to another servant, put a ring on his finger. He says to another servant, you go and you get the fatted calf. See, the father had rehearsed it all the time. He knows, I know exactly what I'm going to do for my son when I see him. I'm going to so Lavish my love upon him. Lavish my love. In John chapter 3, verse 1, 1 John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. Ephesians 1 and 8, it talks about God lavishing his grace and wisdom upon us. Lavishing is a great old word, isn't it? It's not, it, there's nothing sparse about it. It's just incredible. It shows you the heart of who the Father is. You know, he's rehearsed this much more than the Son. Because before he ever created you, God the Father says to his Son, we're going to create man in our image, but Jesus, you know what they're going to do. They're going to run around behind your back. They're going to stab you in the back, and you're going to have to go and save them. You're going to have to pay them. You're going to have to bail them out. You're going to have to do something that they can't do for themselves. And of course, Psalm 42 says, I delight to do thy will, O God. So the heart of God, knowing the failure Knowing, I'm sure that the father had an inkling that he had a bit of a tiger by the tail from the day this kid was born. I don't think it just happened overnight, Pastor Steve. One day he just decided he's just going to go off, give me my portion. I think that there was little kinks and twists in personality, manifestations in behavior. I'm sure he was a biter in the crash. 
I'm sure he was a, he, he was a scribbler on the copy books of other people in school. I'm sure that he was pressing lunch money out of vulnerable kids. I'm sure that he was insolent and, and doing every trick in the book. I'm sure that anything that he could do a little bit wayward and get away with, I'm sure all his life, I'm sure he was becoming quite odious to many, many people. And I can imagine that father says, I know where this is going to go. I know where it's going to lead to, but I'm going to tell you, there'll come a moment and I am going to be ready for that moment. And I want to tell you, God is ready for the moment in your life. Amen. God is ready with a response, friends. I want to tell you, he loves you with an un- everlasting love. See, it's interesting because when you look at the word prodigal, which means wasteful and extra- extravagant and prudent, it has actually two meanings. There's actually two meanings to the word prodigal. You know, prodigal has got a good meaning as well. Sometimes the word prodigal is used like this, in a positive sense, and actually equally as positive. The dessert was prodigal when they lavished the cream on top. In actual fact, prodigal can mean generous, lavish, liberal, bountiful, unstinting, unsparing, you see, when you know who it is, it's easy for a prodigal son to run back to a prodigal father. Because that's who we serve. We serve a prodigal father in the truest sense of his meaning. We have a father in heaven that has lavished his love upon us, undeserving. We have, we have absolutely destroyed Everything he's given us, this planet, our own very bodies. There's some here this morning, your body, some of you can't get pregnant. Some of you can't, you, you can't manifest because you lost teeth in your head because you're doing drugs. Some of you broken arms, broken legs, your body's crocked. And, you know, and God knows, he said, don't worry, son, don't worry, daughter. I'm going to have a new body for you as well. It isn't over yet, hallelujah. There's a new body coming, just come to me. I have it all. I'm going to fix it all. I will harmonize everything onto myself. I will bring all things, reconcile all things. Say it with me this morning. All things I will reconcile unto myself. Would you ever thought that this prodigal son had a prodigal father? Because that's who he is. It's always easier to come back to a prodigal. And you can check the Webster's if you wish. Pastor Nick, I never heard of God the Father was prodigal. Prodigal in the right sense of the word. Prodigal in generosity, lavish, liberal, inspiring, bountiful, unstinting, never changing. Does it sound like our Heavenly Father? Oh, I'm telling you, this is what God wants for you and to me, friends. He kisses his son, shows him his affection with the kiss and his absolution from his past. That's what a kiss meant. A kiss, a kiss meant I absolve you. A kiss meant I love you. He put a robe over him for warmth and given him self-respect. Hallelujah. It's the only one that's going to give you real self-respect is going to be him. He restores that self-respect to you. Hallelujah. He puts the past so far in the rearview mirror. He separates us from that which used to be ourselves. Hallelujah. It's just like, I can't remember that person. Any. I know him. I remember things, but I, I, it's so far from me now because he removes as far as the east is from the west. So I have separated you from your iniquity. <coughs> I've removed your sin, says the Lord. Hallelujah. He puts a ring on his finger. The ring is identification and authority. Hallelujah. Crest of the family. The Bible says we, we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you. 
You have authority in God when you come back, friends. Yes, even a very baby Christian. And you have an identification. Shoes on his feet. Hallelujah. See, what marked those who were in slavery at the time was that they had no shoes because of, what are the reasons? Because they didn't want them to run away. These were very difficult times. They were awful times in many ways, friends. But he said, you're a son. Shoes on your feet. I'm telling you, for the Christian, the shoes are the gospel. Praise his wonderful name. And then the fatted calf, rejoicing, shouts of joy and victory reside in the camp of the righteous of the Lord. Oh, friends, there's always a way back when you know that your father is a prodigal father. And yet there was an older son. And this is what Jesus was alluring to the disciples. You're just like the older son. He's angry. The grace of God is more rewarding than the works of the law. That's what anger is. People that try to metric God's love or favor because they feel that they can get ahead in the evolutionary soup of working their way and their favor and extracting from God, find out that even the most broken, the most undeserving, the least educated sometimes, sometimes the one that they're so bad they didn't even go to school and they come back into our ranks and all of a sudden they're in the presence of God and their hands are in heaven and they're like plugged into something that others can be standing back and say, how come they have such an intimacy and I've been in the house all my life? How come this one that has absolutely no pedigree as we would see it. He came to, the, the older son came to his father, he says, that, that one of yours. He even compounds, because the Bible doesn't say he cohorted with harlots, I think the implication is there. But the, the older son was very quick to, you know, to add more score and a more insult to what your son has been up to. I, you know, to me, I, as, as a minister, the amount of people that always wanted to, and did you know what they did here? And you, I'm not interested. And an interesting in the juicy stories you have about another person. I'm only interested in this. That men and women understand there's a grace in Christ that lifts you up, friends, restores dignity, restores ownership and fellowship and warmth, absolves you from your sin, cleanses you from your sin, rejoices over you with singing. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save and he will rejoice over you with song. Hallelujah. That's the gospel. Anything else wouldn't be good news. Anything else would be religion. And the world doesn't need any more religion. The world needs Christians. And this, old, this old, older brother, friends, he couldn't understand. He was angry. He unfortunately didn't realize his own position. He thought of himself as a type of servant. Just like the younger, younger son had bad theology as well. I'll become like a, a servant. I'll go back to my father, become like a servant, he said. And the older brother's the same, you know, you know, thinks that he has to be like a servant, has to work for the, for the love, has to work for the, the blessing. And that's all he does. He sees his father as some sort of having to appease and work. And I want to tell you that if that's your view of Christianity, if that's your view, if that's what you live by, that the God in heaven is about, you know, he, he says jump, and you, you ask him how high every time. And that's what the relationship is about. Let me tell you, friends, that is so far away. You know, God wants to make you a partaker of all the great things that he's doing. 
He wants you to be a partaker of his creativity. He wants to be, make you a partaker of being a purveyor of the gospel and spreading good news to a broken and desolate world, friends. He wants to bring you into partnership. He doesn't need you, but he wants you to be part of it. I don't know about you, but I think that's the most generous thing I've ever heard. That somehow God would make room for you and me that we could bring a, somehow a contribution <coughs> to what he's doing in this world around us. He didn't understand. He thought he was a servant, not a son. And you need to see yourselves this morning, Christian, you need to see yourself as a son and daughter, not a servant. Jesus said, no longer I call you servants, I call you friends. But for us as Christian people, the greatest title you could ever receive is not pastor. Sometimes that could be a bit of a, that was any other end of a blessing. The greatest title you have is to be called a son or a daughter of the living God. That is the most incredible thing. There's nothing higher than sonship and daughtership. Nothing to be that, to be, to be that close to the heart of God. You need to see yourself the way God sees you. This prodigal father lavishes his love upon you. Come home. Quietly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling us sinners to come home. I read it already. Watching and waiting. Ready to run to you. Ready to make, you know, people say to me, oh, oh this idea of grace. That's nearly demeaning of God. That's why they write that word, reckless love of God, isn't it? Because we would seem it as reckless. We deem it as reckless that he would love us and put up with us. He sees it as love. Oh, love that will not let me go is a great hymn. And it still won't let you go. You have a father in heaven. And maybe one here this morning too, maybe more, maybe some online you're watching. I will go back to my father. That's where it starts. Bow your head with me. Say, I will go back to my father. Hallelujah. I'll go back to my father. Hallelujah. I'm going back to my father. I'm going back to my father. I'm going back to him. I'm running back to him. I won't stop till I fall at his feet. If this pup of a younger son wanted to exploit the goodness of the father, which some do, he'd be back out in prodigal living in no time. But that wouldn't be because the father didn't love him and lavish him with love. Quietly and tenderly Jesus is calling, calling lost sinners, come home, come home, come home. You who are willing, come home, quietly and tenderly. Jesus is calling, calling the sinners, come home.
run to him. Christian, you might be tepid, you might be backslidden of heart, you, may, you might be like the bigger brother in the house, you just go through the motions, you're here, but your, your intimacy with God is... He said to the older brother, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. Now rejoice with me for your, your brother who was lost, is, who's dead is alive and who's lost is found. Now make merry with me. Rejoice with me. Maybe some of you have lost the joy of seeing the sinner come home. Maybe you lost the joy of what the gospel is. Say, oh God, give me that joy again. Give me that joy to understand it's all about the people. It's about my brothers and my sisters. Regardless of my DNA, regardless of the color of my skin, there's brothers and sisters in this world. All of them are brothers and sisters. And give me that joy, Lord, and give me that heart that you have. That's what God would have for his church. Amen. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website. It's www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time.